0: Welcome to the Agris Law Firm video podcast. We are a different kind of law firm, and that's on purpose. At Agris Law Firm, we see you as a person and not just a client, and that makes us better at what we do. We're not just lawyers, and you're not just a client. We're friends, neighbors, and family. This show is about all things legal-ish that friends, neighbors, and family want to know. This is season one, episode five. And today we're talking insurance with Tom Graceffa at Coil Kiley Insurance Agency. Coil Kiley is an all-encompassing independent agency recognized as an industry leader and trusted partner in creating customized solutions to meet your long-term insurance and financial needs. Tom joined Coil Kiley Insurance Agency in 2015 Tom became licensed in all lines of insurance in 2013 and is designated commercial lines coverage specialist, focusing on commercial property and casualty insurance for a variety of businesses. Tom, how are you? Doing well, Mike.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. Uh, Thanks for joining me. This is uh, uh, my fifth uh, video podcast, uh, season one. The first three, I uh, made it at my uh, firm, um, and then we uh, started the shutdown, so you are the second person now over Zoom, so I appreciate your flexibility.
1: Live from the dining room.
0: Yeah, uh, totally. (laughs) I'm live from my home office. I've got uh, two toddlers and my wife at home, so I guess one of the downsides of that is uh, you may hear some uh, screaming in the background.
1: All good. We have a nine-month-old, and he's out on a walk right now, so you might hear some barking, but...
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>
1: Perfect. Yeah. We're well, we're making do, you know.
0: Awesome. Uh, well, let's uh let's dive right in. Uh, tell me uh tell me a little bit more about uh Coil Kylie. What you do there? How you ended up there?
1: Sure. So I started my career with Country Financial back in 2013. I became licensed uh, as a producer in personal lines, commercial lines, as well as financial advisement. And then I reconnected with some friends back in Rockford that were a part of Coil Kylie Agency. And it, it, there's an opportunity to join them and focus more on the commercial lines side of things, which I love. So that started in 2015. I've been there uh, for five years now. I focus on the commercial line side of things. I also do have a wealth of knowledge about the personal you know, insurance products as well. Our firm does have kind of four separate silos. So I represent the commercial division, commercial property and casualty. We have a wealth management division, an employee benefits division, and then a complete division dedicated to personal lines.
0: Uh, got it. And, um, you know, one of the, uh, uh, well, there's a couple of reasons why I wanted to talk to you. One, uh, I switched over my business insurance and started using uh, you and Coil Kylie uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and um, I've been thrilled with your services. Um, much different I experience. That. Yeah, uh, much different experience than the uh, previous uh, agency that I was working with. So um, uh, I thought, you know, uh, I had a great experience. And then, you know, my clients, um, my personal injury clients um, are always dealing with uh, insurance issues, whether it's um, insurance to pay their medical bills, whether it's auto insurance, whether it's homeowners insurance, whether, you know, we're suing a nursing home and dealing with, you know, commercial insurance. So Mm -hmm. I thought it'd be great to have you on uh, to sort of talk about, you know, an insurance, you know, we'll sort of just do a insurance one-on-one type podcast. We'll go through, um, you know, personal insurance, business insurance, auto, home. Um, You know, we can talk about uh, some of the stuff you've done for me. And then, you know, I'd like to pick your brain and uh, ask you some questions about a lot of things that, you know, my clients run into as well. Sounds great. Perfect. Why don't we start? um, Why don't we start with like, homeowners and renters um insurance um i know uh my wife and i moved to elmhurst in fall of 2016 it's the first house we bought uh we were living and elmhurst is a flood zone and we were living here um i don't know maybe six months and my brother-in-law's basement flooded in naperville and he said you know do you have insurance and i said well yeah and he said do you have flood insurance and i thought you know it's a good question and i called my carrier and you know even you know uh it's something I feel like I should know. Um, and I didn't know and had to get separate flood insurance. So let's talk homeowners insurance. What should people sure. do? Uh, what do you recommend? Stuff like that.
1: Well, I'm glad you got the flood insurance before it flooded. So that that's key. Totally. Um, those are definitely some of the things that arise, you know, the unknowns, um, starting off, you know, when you buy a house, you're excited about that home, if, especially if it's your first home, you've probably never bought homeowner's insurance before, and you might not know what it covers. You know, your mind jumps to, sure, it covers my house. You know, if a tree falls on it, they'll pay to fix it. But another key component to a homeowner's policy is actually your personal liability. So similar to how a business insures themselves against, you know, third party claims for personal injury, property damage, et cetera, the same thing can happen to you as a person. So if somebody were to, you know, injure themselves on your property, or you were to you know, inadvertently cause some damage or injury to somebody, you could realistically be sued and you need to have a bucket of money there to you know, pay for your defense and pay for any restitution that's deemed necessary. So that's a huge component that's almost always overlooked by new home buyers because they're buying it because the bank wants them to have it. You know, The bank technically owns the house and they want to protect the asset, et cetera but really what you're buying is protection for yourself for liability suits that may arise out of a variety of occurrences. So on that end, property is very important too. So a thing I see very commonly is under insurance of people's homes. So it's popular now. People are buying insurance online and you know, there's some commercials out there that say, you know, you only buy what you need, et cetera. And they let you determine what you need. And, By lowering your property value, you're going to get a lower premium and you might be happy. But then when a claim may happen, you know, say you have partial damage to your home that is, you know, $100,000 worth of damage. And you insured your house for, you know, say, to make it easy, you have $100,000 of insurance on your house. But when they come to adjust the claim, they realize that your home would actually cost closer to $400,000 to rebuild. They're going to penalize you on that claim payout. So you may only realistically get 25% of that damage that you need to rebuild or repair. So that's another often overlooked piece is the valuation of your home. And here in Illinois, we have uh, some areas are better than others, obviously, but there's a lot of instances where we're insuring homes for more than what they paid for them. And that's a, a common question that we get is why am I insuring this for $2 million when I only paid 600000 for it? Right. Well, the the answer is it would cost $2 million to rebuild that, you know, just because it doesn't sell for that on the market. Fair market value does not directly translate to insurance value. So the two main things are being aware of your liability and your risks there, adequately protecting yourself with limits and making sure that you're insuring your property to an adequate limit.
0: Right. So I remember, and once again, when my wife and I moved to Elmhurst in 2016, it was the first place we ever bought. So I was going through everything for the first time and I was more so worried about uh, the mortgage, the closing documents, making sure money was getting sent to the right place. And then, you know, obviously I knew I needed insurance. Um, The bank required it, but um, I didn't, you know, I didn't think about what you just brought up, you know, so as far as um, what you buy your house for and how much you should insure it, How how would someone know that, you know, if someone lives like the example you gave of a $600,000 house, how do, who would, how would that person know, do I need $600,000 in insurance? Do I need a million? Um, Who helps in that situation?
1: So it should be your agent. So if you have a relationship with a current agent, I would, you know, no matter how long you've been in your home, I'd call them and just say, hey, I want to take a look at my value. Can you complete a valuation? And a common industry tool is called an MSB, a Marshall-Swift-Boca evaluation, and that's an industry-wide computer system that is used to calculate those costs, and every agent should have access to that. So I would start with your agent. You know, some people that are in the construction trades and things like that may have other avenues to go down. You can maybe ask an architect or an engineer, but really, you should check with your agent and make sure that you're insured to value.
0: Got it. So when you're talking about uh homeowner's insurance, renter's insurance, um, any type of insurance where you live, you're, you wanna make sure you're covered for the property?
1: Right, so your property and the property you live in. So if you own a home, you're gonna be insuring the walls, the four walls, the roof, et cetera. If you're in an apartment, chances are, you're only gonna wanna protect your stuff. And if you don't have a lot of stuff, maybe you don't even wanna protect it. But the important part is even if you're renting and say, you know, I only have $30,000 worth of stuff, you know, if if it burns, it burns, whatever. If you're out there without that policy, you don't have that liability protection. So if something were to be determined to be, you're liable for at your apartment and you get sued, you, without that policy, you're on your own and you would have to use your own cash and assets to defend yourself. So even though you may not think you have property to insure, You should still think about insuring your risk liability risk and with a condo too it can differ based on how you own the condo you may have to insure the walls in so you may have to ensure you know the floor coverings the paint etc that's very common sometimes you may be responsible for the whole unit if it's a standalone so those are all questions that your agent or myself could help you with when you're going through those
0: got it so you want to be covered for uh, real property, the house, the property, personal property, what you've got inside. Um, right. And then you also want to be covered, like I found out, you know, you also need additional coverage for flood insurance. Yep. So if you're in a
1: floodplain, the, the good and bad thing about flood insurance is that it's administered through FEMA. They set the rating tables each year. So the National Flood Insurance Program uh, allows carriers to provide flood insurance to you. So no matter who you're with, they would obtain a quote that's in line with pricing, the thing that's going to change is your flood zone. So those are also things that your agent can help you determine before you pull the trigger on buying that house to see what your costs are. Because I've ran into more times than I can count. People have bought a property and then they realize they're going to be paying 10 grand a year for flood insurance, which may be more than their property taxes. So it, it gets ugly pretty quick. And you know, the person that sold, it's happy it's off their hands, but now the new guy's got a problem.
0: Right. And I thought it was interesting when I was looking into flood insurance, trying to figure out how much coverage I need. And I was thinking um, about my basement and what's in there. And I remember uh, the insurance agent who I was speaking with, you know, kept telling me minus a couple examples of like HVAC and very few exceptions. They were saying it's not nothing on the basement floor is covered minus a couple things. So in other words, you know, if you have Uh, a super nice TV, a super nice pool table, a whole entertainment, you know, they were like, look, if your basement floods, excluding some like major appliances like HVAC and other things, we're basically gonna come in, fix the floors, fix the carpet, fix the drywall, and you're on your own for the rest.
1: Right, Right. so that, that can be true if you purchase only the first part of coverage of flood insurance, which is for your building. So those HVAC, you know, appliances, things like that are permanently attached to your house in the eyes of insurance so if something were to happen to them that's treated like your structure that you're insuring you are able to buy contents coverage under the flood too so if you do have that finished basement or you have a bunch of you know stuff that maybe you shouldn't have that close to something that may flood you can insure that but you know it does come with a cost and there's minimums set by the national flood insurance or maximum limits of coverage so if you were to need coverage over that, we can obtain that too. So if you have some specialized collection of something that you definitely need to insure against flood, we can find a solution for you.
0: Got it. And then I think the last thing that would come along with having a house is liability coverage, right?
1: Right. So,
0: So, yeah, how does that work?
1: You know, a a common example is, you know, all my kids' friends came over, they're jumping on the trampoline, you know, one of them jumped off and broke their neck, right? And everybody's heard that story, whether it's happened or not, everybody seems to know somebody it's happened to that kid's parents, you know, maybe they're not the best of friends with you, or even if they are, the kid has extensive medical bills, you know, he's, he's permanently or partially disabled, potentially for life, you know, you're going to get sued. So when that happens, by having an underlying limit of liability that is adequate to protect your assets, as well as a, potentially an umbrella above that, you can help insure yourself against instances like that. So you can have a little more comfort when your kids invite all those people over. And, you know, at least, you know, you have insurance should something happen. But things do happen. There's, you know, a lot of exposure by owning a a home, especially if you have some property along with it.
0: Right. Uh, Last fall, we did just that. Uh, We got a trampoline. Um, And, you know, growing up, my best friend had a trampoline and I was forbidden from going on it. Um, my, but that was back in the day when there were like springs and no sides. And, you know, if you, you know, you could really hurt yourself. We got one of those, uh, springless trampolines that's all netted in on the side and, you know, it's, it's as safe as it gets, but I'm fully aware that, you know, people could get injured. Sure. Um, so, um, you know, um, that would be an instance where I would want to make sure that I've got. Decent amount of liability coverage, plus possibly uh, an umbrella policy.
1: Definitely. And those are also things that when you buy your trampoline or you put a pool in or something like that, call your insurance agent because the carrier that you're with may have exclusions on those things that you know you're going to want to be aware that you are protected. So more commonly, I see that people will tell you a year later, you know, oh, yeah, we got a trampoline. it's like, oh, your carrier doesn't really like trampolines, so you know, God forbid something happened on that and they wanted to deny your claim, that could be a, a big issue too. So being transparent with your agent is key in a lot of respects. You know, we're here to help you. you know, we're not here to you know, gouge you or anything like that. We just want to make sure that you're protected for your exposures. So those things are, are key to keep people in the loop on you know, when, when you do add an exposure like that.
0: Got it. Um, so let's transition into, um, I, I believe it's uh, umbrella policies, right? Sure. Um, and is that simply where, um, you know, uh, me, for example, I've got a law firm, I've got a house with a trampoline, <laughs> I've got two young kids, I've got, I've got uh, a lot of exposure, right?
1: You've got a lot to lose, <laughs> which is good. That's a good thing.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes and no. Yes and no. A <laughs> lot to lose. Um, so what would you tell someone like me, what is, what is umbrella, uh, coverage? Um, how does it work? And I guess the biggest thing I'm curious about is, um, you know, it seems to cover you. My understanding is, is it covers you if you have insurance, but you don't have enough and you can tap into it and how do the setoffs work, uh, things like that. So what is it and how does it work?
1: So, commonly, you know, if you own a vehicle, you own a home, you'd probably have an auto liability policy as well as a homeowner's liability policy. And you'd have some underlying limits on those. Let's say each are a million bucks. And if you were to, say, get in a bad car accident, you caused it. You know, lots of personal injury, lots of property damage, you know, it shoots up over that million pretty quick. So, if you had an umbrella in place what would happen is once that first million is exhausted the umbrella limit being one two three five million would be there's an additional bucket of money to make up that difference in the settlement amount so the way a umbrella is unique is it's not attributed to just one policy so if you had multiple underlying liability policies for this example home and auto the umbrella would cover over those lines so it's kind of a blanket above your underlying limits, providing an extra layer of protection.
0: Got it. And I know it provides an extra layer of protection if someone's coming after you. Can you also use it in a situation, and I I wanna get into auto insurance too, because this is something um, my personal injury practice, I'd say well over half of our cases deal with auto insurance. And it's, to me, it's just wild how nuanced it is and how I. I'll, I'll tell you a story about yesterday about a potential client who came in. It, to me, it's just wild about how many people think that they're covered, um, but they don't have enough coverage or the person who hits them doesn't have insurance. And it's just, it's always a mess. But anyway, um, we'll get to that in a second. Um, sure. My question is, with the umbrella policy, um, am I allowed to go after, like, I know I'm covered if I do something wrong and I don't have enough coverage, someone, it's like an extra layer of protection. It's an umbrella. Am I allowed to go after that uh, myself, my own umbrella policy? Let's say, for example, um, let's say I'm in a car accident and um, the other driver doesn't have insurance and I've got $100,000 in uninsured motorist coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say my damages are a million dollars and I've got a million dollar umbrella. Am I allowed to claim the hundred on my auto and then go after my own umbrella carrier for the difference?
1: Sure. So that happens a lot in Illinois. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of low-limit drivers out there, et cetera. So if they were to hit you and you were to sustain some significant injuries and they it turns out they don't have the coverage needed to repay what's due, your umbrella could potentially step in and pay over and above that underinsured and uninsured motorists. That's something that you need to verify with each and every carrier because we work with a large variety of carriers. And each have their own rules on if they will add under an uninsured motorist coverage under their umbrella or not so that's definitely a great question to ask your agent and if it's a concern have them look at a different carrier if they're an independent agent that would allow that
0: right and i guess you know um uh what I'm figure, you know, what I tell people who uh, I write blogs about it. I tell potential clients, current clients, family, friends, everyone at my office, whoever asks me, I always tell people, especially with their auto insurance, max it out. Mm-hmm. Literally, call your insurance carrier and say I want the maximum amount of coverage, both liability, uninsured, and underinsured. Yep. But not, not, not that you're necessarily worried about um, uh, someone that you're going to get into an accident, or you're going to hit, or you're at fault. But I always say like, if you're in a crosswalk and someone hits you and they don't have insurance, they're drunk, it's hit and run, whatever it is, you always wanna make sure that you're covered. And so that's, you know, that was, a, that was a, something I was interested in about umbrella policies is I, does, it, does it work the same way? And even if you set aside like an auto accident case, like um, uh, l- let's say I have an umbrella policy that covers my whole family. Uh, my kid is at the neighbor's house on a trampoline and hurts himself and they don't have insurance. Once again, is that a situation where I can go after my own umbrella and say, hey, my son was injured, they don't have insurance, and now I want you to cover it?
1: Again, that'll be a carrier-specific issue, but it's not unheard of. So what the term subrogation that you may be familiar with. So in some instances, your carrier may pay your damages that are due to you with the hopes that they can, in turn, sue the party that was negligent and recoup those funds so on a case-by-case uh, basis and carrier-specific basis that could be a potential as well
0: got it i'm for sure you were we were probably five minutes into this podcast and there were things that you were bringing up i'm for sure setting up an appointment with you when, when we're done because i can tell that there's already things in my mind where i'm thinking uh
1: am i covered for that <laughs> happy to help
0: <laughs> okay uh cool
1: because any the- of the people out there that are listening, you know, it's. I very much respect relationships. And if you have an agent, by all means work with them. And even if you want to ask me questions, I'm sure Mike can share my info. I'm happy to help. So, you know, just if things are going in your mind, just reach out and, you know, I'd rather help answer your question than have you keep wondering and maybe be in a predicament.
0: Right. No, totally. And so for me, um, I was fortunate enough where, uh, my dad was, uh, a medic, um, um, uh, right after law school, uh, in the military for a little bit. Um, and so he has USA insurance, which allows me to have USA insurance. And I think they're awesome. Um, they're a great carrier. They're great. Um, and I've thought, you know, they're great. They do my, uh, valuable property. They do my homeowners, they do my auto. Um, and I certainly know I need umbrella and so on and so forth. But what's interesting is, um, and this will kind of segue into the auto insurance uh, topic, which I'm very uh, interested in getting your take on things. I remember when I called them, and this is before I had um, any assets or potential assets. And I remember calling them up. This was years ago. Um, and I've been with them forever and they're awesome. And I called up and I said, hey, because um, I had a friend of mine um, um, who's uh a personal injury lawyer. And while I was in law school, he was a year or two ahead of me. And he was telling me the same thing. He said, call your auto carrier and max out your uninsured and underinsured policy. It's a no brainer uh, because people all the time are in car accidents. And the other person either doesn't have insurance or has terrible insurance, right? Uh, low coverage, all of that. And when I called USA, which I think is awesome, I said, I want to max out my uninsured and underinsured motorist coverage. Um, what's it cost? And her first question was, uh, what do you do for a living? And, you know, I'm like, I'm in law school, I'm broke. I've got tons of that. Um, and she said, oh, do you have any assets you were trying to protect? And it was real interesting, her line of questioning, because she was curious as to why I was doing this. She was thinking, I was in a situation now where I've got kids, a house, and, you know, some exposure, and I'm trying to protect that. And I told her, I said, no. I said, when I'm hitting a crosswalk by some idiot uh, who's drunk, doesn't have insurance, or has terrible insurance, minimum policy, I want to make sure that I'm covered. And she's like, oh, okay. And it was just real interesting that my experience was trying to be almost talked out of it. Um, And what's also fascinating about it is um, the difference in premiums over a year, going from, you know, the bare minimum of 25,000 in Illinois um, for, you know, coverage to 100,000, 250, 500,000. I mean, we're talking, it's like, Five ten bucks a month.
1: Yeah. You, it, more times than that, you won't even notice it. So it's, it, we get so many policies in house that, you know, they may have been with a younger agent or somebody that was just looking to put them, you know, get the business or something, you know, we'll see doctors or, you know, lawyers, professionals that are, have state minimum limits sometimes. And it's like, and you ask them and it's not their fault. They just, they don't know what they have. And until they learn and they're like, oh, okay, change that right now, please, you know, and, and get me covered. Because everybody's very price focused, you know, that's natural for everybody. Right. So if somebody says, I got a great deal for you, it's 500 bucks, you know, and you're paying a thousand. A lot of people just say, okay, pull the trigger, you know, and they don't even know what they're buying. So education's key and talking with a licensed experienced agent to uncover some of those things like you mentioned, that some younger agents may not think to, you know, they're thinking more of third-party liability versus under or uninsured coverage.
0: Right, and when I'm always talking to my clients, I'm, I'm never, I'm rarely concerned about third-party coverage. I'm telling them, you do this to protect yourself. And I think that that's what people, there's a disconnect. People get auto insurance and they think, okay, I wanna be covered if, I, I wanna make sure if I hit someone else, I've got coverage. And in reality, I think it's the, it's the total opposite. You want to make sure you've got coverage. And when you start talking about uninsured, underinsured, people are looking at you like, I don't, what are you talking about? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't make sense. And, um, uh, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's something that, uh, it drives me nuts. Um, and once again, I didn't find out till I was in law school about it. Um, sure. And when I talk to people about it, um, people don't know about it. I've got blogs on it. I've got videos on it. And it's, it's so simple call your carrier and say, I want to maximize my uninsured and underinsured coverage. That's yep. it. End of That's story. That. Right. And some carriers, you know, um, like USA, for example, their UMUIM max is a million bucks. That's, I think, unusual on a personal uh, policy. I think a lot, you know, State Farm, Allstate, ICO, you know, some of the more common ones, you know, even if it's just, a, even if it's two fifty. It's just, you want to make sure you've got that coverage. So anyway, yesterday uh, I got a call from a potential client. Uh, they were uh, rear-ended. Um, the other driver was drunk, had no insurance, and uh, the potential clients got a bare minimum policy through Lighthouse Insurance. And it's like, are you familiar with Lighthouse?
1: I'm not, but I can uh, guess that they're, uh, are they headquartered in Chicago?
0: Um, what's, um... It, you do you ever see that uh, carrier? I think it's called Oxford Insurance. They're like in strip malls. Okay. Like with the dog or something. Anyway, it's like Oxford through Lighthouse. And what's so funny is like I know uh, when that potential client contacts me with Lighthouse Insurance, they're awful to deal with. They always undervalue property damage claims. Um, if you have any type of soft tissue injury, even if you get treatment right away, follow up, you know, if you go to the emergency room, uh, follow up with your primary care physician, go to an orthopod, get physical therapy, they're like, well, you didn't break anything. And it's literally like pulling teeth with them. And from my perspective, it just, it go, you know, it's like, I will evaluate a case on that based on you know, do we want to get involved in two years of litigation with Lighthouse Insurance? Right, that may be
1: unproductive, you know, and, and a lot of times it is. And that's a, in my opinion, Illinois has got a big problem with admitting these carriers that are not financially stable, inexperienced, and over leveraged to write minimum limit policies for quite a few people in Illinois. And there's a big problem and if you were to go back and look at your auto insurance premiums for the past five years, I guarantee you they've gone up. And that's because Illinois allows these s- such low limits and doesn't really enforce the insurance laws around here. So those carriers that you mentioned, they're a dime a dozen. And once they dissolve, they pop right back up under a new name and you know same leadership, et cetera. And that's, a key when you're shopping for your insurance to ask their financial rating. That's a great place to start. So if they're an A rated carrier, AM Best or Moody's has determined that they're solvent and they have good claims experience, you know, paying claims, and they have enough reserves to handle their book of business. These other carriers they may be unrated or, you know, sometimes maybe unadmitted as well. And you don't know what you're getting.
0: Right. My experience going back to Lighthouse again, uh, what's wild about them is I'll get someone in, uh, they retain my office, we send out a notice of representation and lien letter, we're trying to quickly resolve their property damage claim. Lighthouse insurance won't pick up the phone, they don't email, and everything is done over snail mail. And it's like, you know, I've got a client who's got a property damage claim, they can't drive their car, it's sitting in storage, they're being charged a storage fee, uh, they need their car to get to work. They also need their car to be fixed. And then they also want it to get fixed so they can get it out of storage. So the storage fee stops. And it's just like, it's it's wild how um, archaic they are. Um, and and I, I'm i sure they do it on purpose, you know? I
1: would imagine I, so, you know, that's probably the, the base law that, you know, insurance is very mail heavy. So, you know, if you've ever made a change to your policy or anything like that, you've gotten something in the mail. I could almost guarantee you that's the base minimum level of service required by the state of Illinois. So that's what they do, to you know, slow down their eventual demise. But it's uh, it seems to be these companies start up, you know, write a ton of policies, grab a bunch of cash, try to pay as little amount of claims as possible, and then they're gone. You know, within a couple of years or operating under a new name or alias. Right. So it's a big problem. So that's what, you know even if you work with your you know State Farm's or Country Financials or those people they're more trusted than going to the guy in the strip mall and you know getting your insurance coverage there because it only costs ten dollars a month you know it's <laughs> totally it's too good to be true you know
0: yeah um, and uh, I'm also uh, what I speaking of low coverage I don't uh, I don't know if you're familiar with California I'm I'm state licensed in California. Um, and there, uh, so in Illinois, you've got the twenty five fifty, you know, minimum uh, coverage that you need. Uh, in California, it's actually fifteen thirty,
1: um, which is uh, in California where the cost of living is, you know, through the roof. So it's-
0: yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I agree with you. There's a problem. Um, but anyway, um, I'm sure you know. Do you tell clients the same thing? Max out your uninsured and underinsured coverage always.
1: Yeah, what, what I usually recommend is bringing that limit. We always recommend an umbrella, and I'd say 99% of our personal lines car- clients carry an umbrella. What we'll usually do is get them to the required limit underneath, whether that's half a million or a million, and then we'll use the umbrella to inflate that liability pool, especially if it covers over that underinsured and uninsured. If it isn't able to or doesn't allow that, of course, we'll max out those limits on the underlying policy. And again, it's insignificant on the cost difference for most people. If you have, you know, decent credit and you're lower risk, you're not even going to notice it.
0: Got it. Um, So let's talk a little bit about uh, just in general uh, auto coverage. Uh, What's the difference in uh, full coverage and liability coverage?
1: So full coverage includes liability coverage, but it also provides uh, a limit for your own property. So if you get in an accident and you're Vehicle is damaged? Sorry, my doorbell is ringing. <laughs> I'll come right back. No,
0: that's, that's totally fine. <laughs>
1: Sure, thank you. That's a lady coming to trim the dog's nails. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, so we were, um, we were talking uh, liability and, uh, or I'm sorry, full coverage and uh, liability coverage. What's sure. the difference?
1: So full coverage includes your liability coverage, which would be you know that underinsured, under, uninsured part, as well as your third party potential claims. But full coverage also picks up coverage for your own vehicle. So if somebody else hits you or you back into a pole or a tree falls on your car, subject to a deductible, usually they would pay to have that car repaired. Or if it is a total loss, pay to provide you with a vehicle of similar like kind and quality.
0: Got it. And then um, auto policies also have medical payment coverage, right?
1: Right, so medical payments are for you and your passengers. So let's say that your medical payment limit is $5,000 per person and you get in an accident and you and your friend and your friend's kids in the backseat all sustain some minor medical injuries. They would have up to that $5,000 per person to pay for those medical bills. And what that also does sometimes is insulate against suit to the policy. So if somebody were to have damages over that 5,000, likely it would go against your liability limit because that's the larger pool of money that would pay for that restitution.
0: Got it. Uh, Do you recommend that people uh, max out their medical payment coverage too? Uh,
1: You know, I do, but it's kind of an odd limit. It's really kind of um, a smaller limit to prevent suits against that liability claim. You know, if you do have medical insurance and things like that, it may not be that important to max those out. But again, it's a small cost increase and it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't provide any detriment to you, except for in the case of uh, multiple injuries, they may have a larger payout to them. And, you know, that'd be more on the the legal side of things, how that's attributed, but it doesn't hurt. And, you know, it's a good thing to have.
0: Got it. Did your uh, light go out in your room by chance it looks a little there you go perfect what i like about uh, medical payment coverage is it's uh, from a personal injury auto accident standpoint when my client well um, med pay coverage is required in illinois right i believe so yeah so oftentimes i think the minimum is five grand most of my clients have five grand in med pay coverage What I love about MedPay coverage, it's the easiest thing in the world to deal with and they literally just pay everything. Whereas when you're dealing with uh, a third party insurance company, even if it's like Blue Cross Blue Shield, which I I have, uh, I think it's great. You're dealing with negotiated rates. You're dealing with, um, well, we don't wanna pay it. We want it to go through MedPay first. Oh, someone else is at fault for the accident. We're gonna lean the file. We're gonna do this or someone goes to the emergency room and they have a hospital bill, an ER doctor bill, they have an x-ray bill, they have you know a radiologist bill, and there's like five plus different bills from one ER visit, and Blue Cross Blue Shield pays a negotiated rate, and then there's like outstanding co-pays and clients are getting, and it's such a cluster, whereas MedPay, you simply just send them whatever you want. And it's a cash payment. And yep. they just, they pay it. I've even had MedPay carriers where they see it's going to be an issue and they'll just cut my firm a check. And they're like, yep. here's, here's five grand, go pay all your client's bills. And what's also awesome about MedPay coverage is it will pay deductibles, copays. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a, you know, an 80-20 policy with Blue Cross Blue Shield and you've got a $10,000 bill and Blue Cross Blue Shield pays eight and you're stuck with two, yep. you that two over to MedPay and they pay it. So I love MedPay. It makes it super easy, um, and I always tell people, although it's not as important, I don't think, as long as you have health insurance, I always tell people to max it out. And even something, you know, like uh, we just uh, were working on an auto accident case, and my client had uh, 10000 in med pay as opposed to 5000 which most mm-hmm. people have in Illinois. Even just having that extra five grand to get her bills quickly paid in the beginning, because that's when it's always chaotic it's, it's such a breath of fresh air to have that coverage. I love it. For
1: clear. Exactly. And it's a, that's a thing to look at. It's often overlooked by people that buy the policy because it's a low limit and people don't know what it is. So take a look at that too. You know, just go online, get your deck pages or call your agent and look it over, you yep. know, and, and that's definitely something that can come into play if people are just sustained medical costs from an right. accident.
0: Right, and one other thing i 've noticed too that I really like about MedPay coverage is um, you know you 're in an auto accident case, third party liability, um, everyone from the doctors, the hospitals, health insurance, everyone sends out lien letters, they all want to be reimbursed, they all want to be paid, and I get it that 's fine um, but what's nice I have found, and it's not you know necessarily like set in stone, but I have found that if i if my client has $10,000 in medical bills that were paid by Blue Cross Blue Shield, they will typically, uh, uh, let's say Blue Cross has paid 10 grand. I'm not saying that's what the bills are because everything's negotiated. But yeah. if you're in an accident, my client's got Blue Cross Blue Shield and they have paid out, Blue Cross has paid out 10 grand, they'll reduce their lien generally by a third and they'll say, you know, pay us back 6,600, whatever, generally speaking. I oftentimes find, so let's change the equation and go from blue cross to a med pay coverage mm-hmm. um like this client who i just represented and we're settling her case right now she had 10 pay 10,00 in med pay coverage it was exhausted immediately they waived their subrogation claim so she doesn't have to pay back if she had blue cross blue shield that paid out 10 grand they'd be like pay us back two-thirds of that the subrogate right. the subrogation carrier was like that's fine we'll waive it because they're dealing with their own insured who's paid in years of premiums and policy, you know, so exactly, I love it. Med pay coverage. Yeah. And it's,
1: it comes into play more often than not. And it's kind of funny, you know, going into commercial insurance a little bit is that med pay on a general liability policy for your business is for other people. So the auto insurance actually includes you as the driver. So if you were to slip and fall in your own building, it, you don't have any med pay generally, but if I were to, sure. But in the auto realm, it is a first-party payment, potential first-party payment, as well as your passengers.
0: Right. Um, so we talked about liability, full coverage, MedPay. Uh, in the beginning, we talked about uh, uninsured and underinsured motorist coverage. Um, so I believe the last time I looked it up in Illinois, uninsured motorist is required, but underinsured is not. Is that your understanding, too, on the auto?
1: It's a required coverage in Illinois because of all the underinsured and uninsured drivers um, and I, I'm not completely clear on that law but I know that at our firm we include it on every policy because of the importance so it leads me to believe that there might be an option to not include one of those lines right um, but it's definitely highly recommended if right. not a law to carry
0: Right. So I think if uh, you've got to have uninsured motorist coverage. So if someone else hits you, you've got to have that bare minimum, 25 at least, if someone else doesn't have insurance. But as far as underinsured, I don't think it's required. Um, but once again, like let's talk about those scenarios. And uh, do you feel the same way as well that you're, you're, you're carrying it to protect yourself,
1: right? Exactly. It, you're only carrying it to protect yourself. Because if something happens as the event of an underinsured drive, say they only have that $25,000 coverage and they cause a hundred thousand dollars to you or your vehicle or a combination of the both, the 25 will get paid to you, hopefully, depending on their carrier. And then the rest will come from your carriers under or uninsured motorist limit.
0: Right. Um, the, my personal injury buddy, I grew up with him. He, um, uh, stood up at my wedding. We've been friends forever. And, um, and he does personal injury work too. And um, you've got a joke uh, in this area of law. Otherwise, I mean, it's just you're dealing with just like awful injuries and people's problems and all that. But anyway, the uh, you know when I tell people uninsured, underinsured motorists, I joke and I say, look, if, if I'm out running it'll never be FedEx that's going to hit me in the crosswalk. It's right. a, It'll be some drunk dude who either leaves the scene or doesn't have insurance. Exactly. And that way, I can then turn to USAA and be like, okay, cut me that check for a million bucks.
1: And that's, you know, it's true though. It's the likelihood of a you know well-managed company or a, a safe driver, et cetera, et cetera, hitting you is a lot lower than somebody that doesn't know what they're doing and carries low or no limits hitting you. Right. So it's the risk is there. And it, that's a great story to that point.
0: Right. Right. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about, about auto insurance. Um, tell me, uh, tell me what you know about and what your thoughts are about gap coverage. Sure. Um, and I believe it's just, it's in the, the, the property damage arena, right?
1: Yeah. So say you just bought a new car and you paid 50 grand for it. You drive it off the lot. Now it's worth 30 and you get hit. So you owe fifty grand on that car, but the insurance company naturally only wants to pay you the, the actual cash value. So loan or lease cap coverage is available by endorsement from most carriers. And what that would do is make up the difference. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the dog is uh, running away from his nail trim.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. You know what? I, I, I mean, if you can get a dog, get their manicure, pedicure during the lockdown, I mean, that, that, that's impressive. Yeah.
1: God. Yeah. He said it's impressive if you can get the dog's nails done during the lockdown here. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Gadget. I okay. know. And the other one settled the one bedroom or the playroom and I
0: like to get him so
1: thank you. Perfect. Sorry.
0: No, that's great. something going on around here. Yeah, totally. I've, I've had luck here with uh, my two kids have so far been quiet, and um, I've got my uh, 11-year-old dog curled up uh, on his bed in my office here, so uh, so, far, so, so far so good on my end. Uh, gap insurance, though, so it basically, uh, like you were saying, you're in a car accident and uh, you owe more on the car than your insurance company wants to pay.
1: Right. So naturally, they're going to want to pay you actual cash value because that's what your assets insured for what the loan or lease cap coverage, if added to your policy, usually by endorsement, would provide for that difference. So say you owe the bank 50 grand, the total damage is 30, that loan or lease cap will respond for the extra 20 and allow you to make payment in full back to your lender.
0: Perfect, and is that something you also recommend to
1: people? Yeah I do if it's available. Uh, Not every carrier does it and the ones that do usually include it in in some sort of enhancement package that you can add to the policy but that's if you know that you're in that situation definitely ask your agent about it. Um, Some carriers also do like a three-year period like if you were to buy a 2020 vehicle. If you were to total it between now and 2023, they would pay that difference. But then after the third year, they would pay you actual cash value. There's a lot of different ways to kind of slice it up. But that's definitely a concern if you know you're leveraged in that way.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Um, Let's switch gears. This is something uh, you helped me out with, uh, I believe, a couple of months ago. Um, This is dealing uh, in the business aspect of, um, and I don't know, maybe you do it for uh, individuals too, but uh, cyber coverage. And I think I just pulled the trigger with you guys a couple of months ago. Uh, so tell me what it is, what it covers, and why people should have it.
1: Sure. So as everybody's seen on the news, through the media, the risk of a cyber attack is really not if it's going to happen, but when it's going to happen to you or your business. And events like that are typically excluded from your traditional general liability package of insurance so although it's not a new risk it's a newer insurance product developed over the past decade but really the past five years that would provide some buckets of money to respond should there be a data breach a ransomware attack uh, wire transfer fraud social engineering crypto jacking The list goes on and on, and the forms keep becoming more robust to insure against those risks. So essentially, it's like purchasing a general liability policy to defend against your potential of a data breach or losing assets, meaning hardware, or uh, a variety of other things that can occur to lock you down, uh, like ransomware. It would actually respond to get a team out there to deal with whatever the situation is, as effectively as possible.
0: Right. I think what's interesting with ransomware uh, bringing, you know, you, you brought that up. Um, my IT guy is uh, real big into uh, security. So we try to be as, you know, as safe as possible with things. And a couple of years ago he brought up ransomware and we've got, you know, things in place to protect that. But I think what's interesting about it is um, it, uh, it can strike anyone. Um, I mean, we're talking, uh, you could be a a small law firm, you could be a big law firm. Um, I've heard of hospitals getting hit, universities, police departments. I mean, no one is safe from it. And what's crazy is, um, you know, the moment you click on something that you shouldn't, your whole system's locked down and then someone demands ransom to unlock the system. Right. And if you're not protected either IT wise or insurance coverage wise, I mean... You know, if someone lock, you know, well, I don't even want to give an example of my firm, but it, you can, you can imagine, though, I mean, if you're a hospital and someone takes over your system and locks it down and says, you know, send us $100,000 in Bitcoin, otherwise, you know, you're SOL. Right. If you're not protected, both IT wise and insurance wise, what are your options?
1: So if you're not protected, you know, first, you got to know what the hell Bitcoin is and how to get it to the people, you know, so that, that's a step one, because they always do request it in some form of cryptocurrency. Um, basically, your chances are your SOL, because those hackers, they're not really in it. To, generally, they're not in it to destroy your data or, you know, do things that are malicious outside of the ransom. When they get paid, they typically give your stuff back. But if they don't get paid, then your stuff goes away like they said it would. So without, if a, if a ransomware attack happened that was widespread and took your system down without cyber coverage, you'd be left to your own devices to negotiate with that person and attempt to make payment to them. If you did have a cyber liability policy, there would actually be a, a white hat hacker deployed to talk to the bad hacker And come to a negotiation agreement to create a a hash key to actually prove that when that crypto comes over, you get your stuff back. So you're dealing with a professional that's working for you that talks this guy's language to get your stuff back as quickly as possible and to prevent it from happening again.
0: Yeah. And that's awesome. I know um, the policy you did for me was not, you know, it was compared to all the other insurance premiums I pay. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty reasonable. Um, And once again, I can have all of the uh, IT preventative measures, security measures set up and um, you know, it just takes one person making a mistake and the amount of like spam and weird emails and stuff that, you know, I get or submissions on my website You know, uh, like at least once a week, uh, someone at my office is getting some random email that appears to be from me that says, you know, hey, are you free right now? I need a favor. Can you do something? But it's it's written in such a way where, you know, everyone now knows at my office, if you don't know who it's coming from, forward it to the IT guy and the IT guy will let you know if it's safe or not. But yeah you can do everything in the world to protect yourself, but someone can still figure out a way to get in and get you to you know, click on something. I even get, um, this is wild, I've gotten bogus PDF bills from vendors that I use at my office, where I get a bill from an email, of a, I, like a vendor, like a website vendor or email vendor, saying, uh, hey, uh, we ran your credit card and it was denied. Um, please update your billing, click here. Yep. And it's actually one of my vendors.
1: But that's how crafty they are. You know? And that's where that wire fraud comes into play. So right. you know, some may say, hey, we changed bank accounts. And they'll actually study these emails, depending on how involved the attack is, for months. And they learn how you and the vendor speak. So when they do write that email, it sounds like the vendor. You know, they use the same vernacular and it, it looks like an email from them. And if you don't make that phone call to verify, hey, did you really switch bank accounts and you wire them a quarter million dollars, it's likely gone. you know. And if you have that insurance to protect you, of course, it'll, it'll be paid back to you. But the first line of the defense is that IT strength and firewalls, network protocols, et cetera. But the unfortunate part is the criminals are always one step ahead of the good guys. you know. And that's where a lot of the, the good guy technology actually comes from is the bad guys. So... It's just kind of a vicious cycle. And the FBI is in charge of cybercrime. And they just, quite frankly, don't have the manpower to follow up on every single incident. So it, it's allowed to kind of run rampant due to that.
0: Right. What I find interesting about the phishing emails that I get from vendors that I use. Is it seems totally legit, and the money that they're asking for is within lines of what the vendor would charge. So they'll send me an email. You know, I'll have a monthly subscription for something, and it's like fourteen ninety five a month to have this service for this vendor and whatever. And they'll say, Hey, uh, the credit card we have on file was denied. Um, please update your file so um, we can run your bill through. Click here. Yeah, and it's it, you know they're not they're not saying like, Hey, wire me two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to this random account across the world. It's a legit, you know, it's a legit bill that looks like, oh, credit card, you know, whatever, expired. Let's update it.
1: Yeah. But and anyway. then they have your credit card info and then, you know, they're buying stuff all over the place and, or, and you can't find
0: them. Or you're clicking on a link that's like a phishing link that then all of a sudden, like, they, don't, they obviously don't care about the credit card or the money. You're clicking on a link and now all of a sudden they've accessed your whole system, which is what they want. Right. Um, So anyway, it's, you know, I I try to be my IT guy is cutting edge and progressive. And I warn people at my office all the time, like, if you don't know where it's coming from, forward it to the IT guy, he'll check it out. And um, no matter what, um, they, you know, the cyber stuff just gets more and more creative, even bizarre emails, you know, we pay a lot of vendors on PayPal other yeah. bizarre emails from PayPal about like, you know, someone randomly sends you an invoice that looks legit and they just want you to click on something and then you're screwed.
1: Right. And it happens all the time. And I tell every business owner, if you own a business and you use a computer, even if you don't, if you have any data that you store, hundred percent of business owners do just buy a cyber policy. You know, it's if you're a small business, it's low premium. Even if you're a big business, it's worth it.
0: Totally. Just to have
1: that peace of mind.
0: Right. And I also think, and I, I follow this with law firms in particular. Um, I think what's interesting about it is I would imagine that it's massively underreported because people are super embarrassed. And if you're yeah. you know, like if, if you've got a massive law firm with, you know, a thousand lawyers and offices all over the world and you're dealing with international clients and all of a sudden you've got ransomware and they're like, pay us half a million bucks on Bitcoin. You know just the embarrassment and the fallout they may pay that ransom just to get this under the rug and move on so no one knows yep. so I, I'd imagine tons of businesses don't report it pay the ransom because they don't want their clients to think that they're not uh, secure and up-to-date with technology
1: yep that's a hundred percent the case it's, it's similar case with employee theft a lot of times it goes unreported due to that reason the Good thing to know is that most robust cyber policies carry PR limits in them. So if you do experience some reputational harm or something like that, essentially they'd hire a PR firm to help bring you back up to, you know, good faith with your customers. And we've all experienced a breach, right? Whether it's Target or PlayStation or whatever, Marriott, you get those emails that basically say, Hey, we screwed up, but this is what we did to fix it. This is what we're doing moving forward. And, you know, they retain the majority of their client base. So that adds to that comfort of if this happens, you know, we don't have to worry about that either because they'll try their best to get us back in a good image.
0: Got it. Um, I'm going um, to, I, uh, I find all this stuff super interesting and um, I could sit on this podcast for you uh, for longer than an hour. Um, we do, uh, uh, since the lockdown, um, every day at 11 o'clock, we go on like a you know, hour-long family walk to get up. Oh, and get nice! Get some fresh air. So, um, my office, my home office. I I can hear my kids and my wife outside. They're all ready to go. For They're me. ready to go. They're oh, loaded totally. up. <laughs> so, I I'm gonna I'm gonna end this here in a minute. Um, I've got one quick question. Then I'm gonna ask you a couple of other quicker questions, and then I'll have you give me your contact info. We'll put it on the video right down here. Uh, so people can get in touch with you if they have any other questions, and I'm gonna email you to set up a time to make sure that. <laughs> I think I need your help too. Sounds um, good. Happy to. Let, help. let me let me ask you. Uh, COVID-19 business interruption insurance, like it is, it's a total cluster. Um, I find it. Uh, I've I've asked you about it. I've asked you, you know, some questions. Like I think uh, Society Insurance right now with their all-risk coverage, I think they've. And what's crazy is I actually just settled a, a personal injury case with with uh, society the other day. And I, okay. I didn't recognize the name. I mean, I knew the name, but didn't rec. but they're at the center of all these restaurants, class actions, business interruption, uh, uh, civil authority shutdown. Like I looked at my policy and stuff. Um, and what's interesting is, um, you know, these insurance companies have like what, 800 billion in reserves. If they paid everything out, their reserves would be gone in two weeks. Uh, so I look at it like this where, um, they're either going to have to pay everything out and the government will bail them out or they're not and the government's going to have to bail out the business. What do you, you think is going to happen with all of this? And I'm just talking specifically, sure. yeah, shutdowns, business interruption insurance, civil authority, what's going to happen?
1: So the way I interpret most forms that I have, um, every one that I've reviewed, in fact, from each carrier, there isn't coverage as it's written currently, you know, and I'm not an attorney, so I, I can't read in, the, in between the lines as much, but the lack of a direct physical damage to your property or an adjacent property that may lead to a civil shutdown or may lead to prevention of you doing business at your normal place of business uh, hasn't occurred by definition of most of these policies. So we've had a variety of claims de- denied, which is the common theme here. Uh, As far as talk of restitution, I've read quite a few articles about the government getting involved, but it seems to be on the back burner. You know, it hasn't been talked about in many of these press conferences. Trump's mentioned it once or twice, but it doesn't seem to have a lot of momentum. Uh, What we're seeing now is the class action lawsuits begin to start. So that's going to put a new angle to this as to how the first carrier to respond to one does. You know? so. If there's an agreement to settle that's going to start a trend right but as far as predicting how that's going to go you know it's kind of up in the air and i would lean towards the side of the federal government stepping in to maybe invoke the carriers to pay damages with some you know support from monies from the government because the real issue as you mentioned is if they were to pay out these supposed losses there would be no more cash reserves. They'd be insolvent, and it would create large problems across the world.
0: Right, and it would be uh, like, you know, for example, my dad lives in Florida. Um, He um, is uh, on the Gulf side, and um, I'm always asking him questions about his hurricane policy and hurricane insurance. And you see it down there in Florida, where, you know, you had a bunch of private insurance companies, there's some hurricanes, they all have to pay out a bazillion dollars, and then they all stop insuring people in Florida, and then it's a state run insurance. And, you know, so I just, you know, legal, you know, from all aspects of it, um, you know, I I see both sides. And I think it's just going to be interesting. Like I, you know, when I was in high school, um, I worked at a restaurant, I was a stock boy, I was a prep cook, I did their catering, like, I love restaurants. Um, I feel terrible for them and what's going on and, you know, society insurance in particular with that, you know, uh, all risk coverage and, you know, wh- what are these restaurants supposed to do? And on the other hand, if all the claims are paid out, the insurance will be broke and, you know, and then the, it's, it's just, it's such an interesting, uh, it's an interesting issue. It'll be interesting to see what happens. It's very
1: interesting and it's um it's a complete unknown, you know, and I'm sure each and every carrier has a dedicated team working on this now, but it's uh, it's yet to be seen. And, you know, the hopes would be, the other issue with it is they weren't necessarily closed down. You know, they can, if they choose to, they can still continue to offer carryout at a, you know, obviously a reduced sales intake. But by definition, business income, or business interruption responds when you can't work from your location. You know, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic. And I guess my hopes are that with this, these loans and things that are going on with the government, that somehow they can find some relief until we can get back to some kind of normal. But even when that happens, there's going to be a lot of odd rules when you go out to eat. You know, you're going to have to sit far away, and it's going to be a very different experience for a while.
0: Right. No, I, and I, uh, I talk to my wife, friends about that all the time. Um, you know, uh, you know, let's say everything opened up tomorrow, right. Um, are you going to want to go to a nice restaurant and drop a lot of money if, you know, your server comes up with a mask on and it's wearing gloves and the whole place smells like bleach.
1: Right. It's, you know, and the whole time you're sitting there like, uh, you know, am I getting the disease or what, you know, it's, you're a little nervous, right? So it's, it's going to be different. and
0: yeah no it is it is um all right cool i'm gonna end with some rapid fire questions here uh what's your favorite animal
1: my favorite animal
0: dog got it uh and what kind of dog do you have the one that's getting the manicure pedicure
1: uh, i have two they're litter mates they're doberman vijla mixes so they look like coonhounds
0: oh awesome cool i'm a dog lover too um what's that i said nice yeah uh what app do you use most
1: Hmm, Probably my mail app, (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, Productivity-wise, I think uh, probably my CRM HubSpot.
0: Got it. Uh, What's your favorite food?
1: Favorite food? Pizza. Uh,
0: What's your uh, perfect vacation?
1: Perfect vacation would be somewhere all-inclusive, probably Mexico. Uh, I like the Riviera Maya area.
0: Got it. Um, And finish the sentence. Weekends are
1: for... uh weekends are for hanging out with my son now you know i would have said something different a couple months nine months ago but now it's family time weekends for family time
0: got it uh and if you uh if you weren't in the um insurance world uh what would you be doing
1: hmm Uh, I always wanted to be a veterinarian actually so I'd probably be in the medical field either on the human side being maybe a specialist nurse or EMT or something like that or a veterinarian
0: cool Uh, that's all I've got this was awesome I want you to uh, before we uh, before we end the podcast here if you can tell me uh, what's the uh, and we'll put this up like I said in the bottom of the video here uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you Uh, your phone number email um, let me know your contact information
1: Sure. So best number is 815-987-2170. And my email is first initial last name, T tgrosefa at coilkiley.com.
0: Got it. Um, And uh, lastly, you do, or your office, I I know you specialize more so on the commercial side of things, but if anyone has any insurance questions, whether it's homeowners, renters, uh, flood, liability, umbrella, auto, cyber, whatever it is, they can come to you in your office, right?
1: Certainly. Just give me a call and we'll get you in touch with the right person if it doesn't happen to be me. Okay.
0: Awesome. Well, once again, thanks for doing this. Uh, I appreciate it. And um, uh, like I said, once we uh, stop recording here, I'm going to shoot you an email so we can set up a time to talk.
1: Sounds great, Mike. Thank you very much.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Stay well.